So I'd like to introduce uh, Anna Rutter. Uh, Anna, would you like to say what your, um, how would you describe your uh, profession, I suppose? What is your um, I, I suppose I, uh, I think of myself as a sculptor. Um, uh, and I work at Margaret Street at the School of Arts as a technical demonstrator. And there's an insight, uh, exciting uh, introduction that you had recently to uh, the world of David Bowie um, in, uh, in relation to the recent show at the V&A. Um, very exciting moments to, f to find yourself uh, um, marginally becoming close to uh, <laughs> one of your, your, your heroes, at least. Uh, uh, that's what I'm assuming. That's, the, that's how I feel about the subject. But uh, um, when you get um, uh, even closer slightly to uh, perhaps someone that you've admired for a long time. It feels different. So it's different to meeting someone face to face, but uh, being in that world and being asked to do something creative in that world is an exciting moment. Yeah, we, we, we um, found ourselves in a position being asked, uh, being commissioned by the V&A to make a piece of work um, for the David Bowie exhibition. Um, and the piece uh, really sort of visually um, shows or describes the, the the number of people born in the same year as David Bowie. The year that David Bowie was born was the biggest sort of post-war baby boomer year, so it was the biggest um, number of births in Britain in a in a year. Um, and and so uh, I worked with Stan's Caff, um, and we made a piece that's a very large light box that um, shows each one of the people born in Britain in that year as a, in a, as a grain of rice. So the, yeah. the, the light box surface is made up out of thousands and thousands of grains of rice. So it's worth saying that this is a, this who stands calf, I guess. Yes. Um, and also taking in context, because this uh, rice work is something that Stan's Caff has really been quite become quite well known for. Yeah, Stan's Caff are, um, are probably easiest, easiest um, uh, described as a theatre company, but um, I would say that probably quite a lot of their work comes in a sort of a performance installation sort of sort of line as well. And for a number of years now, they've made a large scale um, installation called uh, something along the lines of generally of all the people in all the world. And it, I, my understanding is it started with an, of all the people in in the UK sort of version and has become bigger, that shows human statistics in grains of rice. And they're piles of, uh, piles of rice. Um, and they, as the, the show develops in spaces and the statistics change, so you visually see um, them, them shown against each other. Um, and they've done numerous versions uh, in different con countries, continent versions and sort of world versions. So the, 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 the concept of the, of the sort of showing of the number of people in grains of rice came from, of all the people in all the world. And so the piece for the V&A is, is, is sort of loosely titled or sort of titled on itself as all the people born in 1947. Everyone born in the UK in 1947. <laughs> Um, and so that's where the that sort of that um, sort of what was that number? From. What was the figure? It's it's. Um, uh, I can't remember the number. Oh, I can yeah. remember the weight. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> the bag of rice. <laughs> it so, was a, It was fifteen point uh, four three recurring kilos. Oh, right, okay. And I think there's 
and yeah, so I remember it being a very successful uh, or, uh, visualization of um, sometimes when you get statistics or uh, numbers or, or strange kind of uh, um, models for um, weighing up how big something is or how far away something is or how many something is. And there's a strange unit of uh, an area the size of Wales or a, a blue whale or yeah. a double decker bus. The standard one. Or um, I remember. Uh, Capri's cream eggs being advertised as how well how many did they make in a year well enough to get you to the I think it was to the moon and halfway <laughs> back and that still doesn't mean anything but actually seeing a grain of rice which everyone knows the size of and then a, a mountain the size of uh, uh, well something that's about 10 or 11 feet tall representing people in India or something like that that was a very good uh, I, way of um, seeing the world directly. I think the, the, that way of physically, visually representing those sorts of human statistics in, in, of all the people in the world has, has always has worked incredibly successfully in a whole range of um, different environments and showing um, quite different things. There's been, uh, there's been versions of the show that have been done um, for Wellcome Trust and in different environments. So, so looking at different sorts of human statistics and sort of different areas um, and exploring different areas and it does work incredibly, incredibly well. And I suppose then it becomes quite odd for, for someone like me who's seen the show quite often, or I suppose James from Stan's Cafe who devised the show and has been involved and has seen it in many, many different places and in many forms. We just begin, you just sort of begin to read grains of rice as people. Yeah, right. Um, there was a there was a lovely moment when a um, uh, Craig from Stanscast's um, children came in when when I was, we were laying down the rice, and as we were making the piece, and uh, and his uh, his son um, said, "Oh, so what does this show?" Because of course, all his life he's known <laughs> rice <laughs> as showing uh, yes, representing, representing something, something, something about people. It's, it's yes. It's <laughs> Stop playing with your food, Dad. Yeah. <laughs> uh, How much rice do you want? Well, I were India. I want a small village, <laughs> yes. but not a town. So we, we, I think we've all been to the V&A show, and uh, yeah. um, I, I was tremendously happy with it. I spent about uh, three and three-quarter hours there, and uh, um, um, many, yeah, I, I, I just so much new information. Uh, did you have any particular highlights? Um, I, I, th I think it's, I, it, there's so much stuff in it that I, I, I just, I, I think I came out feeling sort overwhelmed, of, yeah, yeah. completely sort of visually sort of so you weren't given any context, were you, when you were really went, other than it's part of this exhibition? No, not really. We were, we, we, we knew that it was a sort of, um, it would be done uh, as, a, as a sort of a timeline. So that, and the, the, the rise piece would of course then be <laughs> quite near the beginning. Um, it being sort of based around, you know, based around the year that he was born in, um, and so we knew that it would be at the beginning of the exhibition, or it would be in that sort of early area, and so we sort of knew it would be a timeline. But I don't think even bits of sort of um, snippets of things that you heard, and um, and knowing that there was this huge archive and this huge collection of things that um, that that Bowie had collected himself and was in his archive and many other things were sort of in, in existence and there would be videos and there would be sound pieces and interviews and a whole range of other things. 
I don't think I was in any way prepared for quite how much stuff would be in it when I got there. Um, and the private view was absolutely rammed. So it, it, was, it was a space rammed with information and stuff, then sort of rammed full of people. So it was quite a sort of a, a, sort of a bizarre event. I think it's busy pretty much every day in any case. So you know, we, I felt I was sometimes being kind of herded through just because of the movement of visitors and having to walk, walk, work at a certain speed, a certain pace, partly because we're all being paced by the audio and um, the audio set up, isn't it, to last sort of approximately an hour, just under an hour, yeah. so that it actually leads you through the whole exhibition in that time. Yeah. So it is quite, it is sort of... But yeah. I, I, mean, I found it difficult to imagine how full the space must have felt with half of London's great and good at the private view. Very busy. I actually completely missed uh, our piece. I couldn't, I couldn't see it. We sort oh, of got, went through and I couldn't see it. Mm. And I sort of got all the way to the other end and, and hadn't, hadn't seen it. And I'd obviously sort of actually managed to walk past it at the beginning, which is probably uh, something I shouldn't say, isn't it? I had to go back and find it. But the sa I went to see it then to document the piece. I, I, I went to see it after it had shut at the end of one day. And that was, that was almost even odder because it was then completely empty, apart from a couple of security people. We do even tempted to try on costumes. They're all in cases. <laughs> you, can't, you can't actually get to anything. There are some. You could get really close to... Uh, I, I, okay. was, I was absolutely blown away by being so close to the Pierrot costume, uh, the Ashes to Ashes Pierrot costume, which is just on a raised it's, plinth yes. um, behind a small barrier, but it would have been, had, had there not been security there, it would have been possible <laughs> to touch it. How did you find your um, piece sat with the um, uh, its neighbours, if you like, in the context of the movement through... I know you just said you missed it completely, <laughs> but when you went back to return. And one of the things that I noticed, and this is always... Uh, uh, it's always difficult to tell whether you picked up a theme of the, um, you know, the curator or whoever's determining the order of the exhibition, whether uh, the, the kind of patterns that... Um, uh, appear in, in your mind uh, are, are really there or whether it's uh, um, something that happens in the mind of the pop fan to try and create uh, connections where there are actually none I've been a victim of it to, uh, <laughs> myself many times one thing that I remember from that particular room I think it is with, with the rice at the initial room is a um, very early um, I think it's a flyer advertising one of Bowie's earliest jazz bands and he describes uh, or he names them the, the Bowmen uh, which is even before he's uh, uh, decided the name Bowie for himself when he was still yeah, David Jones. It's a little kind of an artistic drawing of a, of a, a bow uh, like a bow and not, a yeah, like an, Yes, yeah. And um, just a few feet away is the um, uh, an installation relating to the um, 2001 so the what what is the genesis of the uh, space oddity well it, it's certainly a pun on uh, um, Kubrick's um, space odyssey but uh, the, um, the the lead astronaut if you like in that film is is called David Bowman and um, what an exciting kind of uh, thing to think about as a stoned uh, <laughs> um, uh, a pop fan in the year 1970. There are all these connections, aren't there? Little little connections that that Bowie keeps um, 
bringing up little little visual images and the, the image of the elderly woman talking to a clown is an image that's right there in, in that uh, space oddity section it's right there one of the drawings that i believe is on the original sleeve to space oddity yeah. the outlaw was was originally not called space oddity was it it was the uh, was it man of words man of music or something yes um but there's a little drawing of uh, that he by i guess bowie's own drawing of, of a, an elderly woman talking to a clown and then all those years later we've got the ashes to ashes video of with the very famous image of, of david bowie in the piero costume walking across the beach being talked to by an elderly woman being kind of lectured by it so these kind of i, I don't I, it, it is tempting to kind of say well you know we could dismiss all these connections as being just the the fevered mind of a fan who wants to see significance everywhere but I but think it has to be said with Bowie that he, he has he will put it so there. much yes. Yeah, indeed yes but it but, and isn't that the other thing I mean that he is so much in so much of what he made or was made you know around around his music and around, you know he's made around it so the videos and all sorts of things he's 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 incredibly involved in all of that and actually in most artists of whatever type, there's an obsession and there's a returning to themes and there's a revisiting and an, an exploration of themes that happens over time in slightly different ways. And so actually seeing that through the time, that sort of timeline is, is, is it highlights how much he's involved in, in all of the stuff around. Yeah, I guess you very rarely but get all that in one space yeah. in a way that you can, be, you can view it inside of an hour or thereabouts. And actually make those connections. Yes, it, so, it so forces you to. Um, mm. Yeah, if there if there really is a pattern there, it forces you to to see it. But I, I still felt that you know I think I was able to prove that a lot of the connections I was making couldn't possibly uh, be the case. But that's always going to be my uh, my expertise is seeing things that are aren't there. The classic uh, um, mishearing of lyrics as well before um, it was um, you know possible to uh, just download the lyrics to anything that you wanted to hear or if that particular album didn't come with the lyrics or perhaps you just had a cassette of the uh, the album which is perhaps more standard for me uh, and then mishearing the lyrics I, I remember um, a Bowie mishearing classic mishearing leading to all sorts of uh, imaginings and thinking that well, this is such a clever lyric and it was um, I, I misheard uh, the lyric as um, uh, the papers want to know whose shot you wear instead of whose instead shirt of whose you shirts you wear, and I thought that's such a clever lyric because uh, that means um, uh, he's already anticipating his uh, assassination uh, as a as a hero, as a, a kind of um, a, a fan of a, a being a, both a pop star and an astronaut gone too far. And also the, the notion of a moonshot. Uh, um, so where did NASA send you? So the, the, the newspaper not actually really caring about the, the science. And then when I realised that it was actually saying whose shirts you wear, I thought, well, perhaps, uh, yeah, <laughs> perhaps I'm too <laughs> clever for, uh, for this uh, pop game. But then I thought, there's, there's two kinds of shirts. Is he talking about football shirts? Or is he talking about designer shirts? I, don't I think know, that I don't has to be designed yeah. shirts. Yeah. <laughs> because th this really would be a question if you were asking about uh, uh, um, 
someone's football team allegiance. You know, there was a time when that was a big deal to um, um, claim one way or the other who you supported. That would have been a, um, an, an, a, a pop star question. You know, the smash hits or uh, record mirror of the day would have been asking those kind of questions. Mm -hmm. Which football team do you support? Anyway, got it wrong. <laughs> But Bowie's really ripe, you know, he's, he's absolutely ripe for this kind of interpretation, isn't it? Just these mad connections. And maybe that's what, you know, why it makes it possible to commission pieces of art that are loosely connected. But aren't actually. But aren't really yeah. a product of that artist. And, and place them in an exhibition like that and have those same connections drawn by the visitors. You could almost take, you could almost take anything and put it there and rely on our knowledge of Bowie and our own view of the way all that world fits together to, to make the connection. I think, I think you're right. I think that, that, that there, is, there is a huge eclecticness as well about what's in the show and all the things that are there and all the things that have been capped and gathered. And I, I think astonishing. I, I was just, well, I was just amazed. I mean, that, that you'd keep... Yeah. that somebody would keep that much stuff or yeah. all those bits, all those things or they'd sort of be preserved in a manner that they could be sort of used and gone through. This and was something that when we, we uh, heard uh, Jonathan Barnbrook um, talking uh, a little bit before we saw the exhibition, um, before it opened I think, um, and he, Jonathan had um, been kind of David's contact on the V&A board for the exhibition design and had curated the Berlin period uh, room uh, at the exhibition and and he said that you know, his one of his observations was you know for, for somebody who who apparently was was on out of his head on drugs for most of the 70s he'd been very very very, <laughs> very organized about his collecting about yeah. keeping, keeping his own um, his own archive yeah I think there was just uh, I, could, I can only remember one replacement costume so there was, uh, um, I can't remember exactly which one it was, but the, it was a mock-up, it was mm -hmm. a reconstruction of the, the original. Who knows what happened to the original, but uh, um, my guess is that Bowie didn't give it away. You know, Somebody it was stolen from a, yes. uh, someone working for the show. Well, we talked about this the, the other night, weren't we, about, about the, the James Bond exhibition that had been at the, uh, at the Barbican um, last summer. And that many of the early pieces were reconstructions because it had been common practice for people who worked on the film to be allowed to take their costume home. That one of the, one of the kind of perks of getting the part, if you like, was hey, you've got this lovely designer dress, and you know now we finish the film. Now we're never going to need that dress again. Go on, it's yours. And actually, quite a lot of the bits of costume in the Adobe Bowie exhibition were bits that weren't worn by him, worn by other people in photo shoots and other places. Not all, and they were still there as well. So there's a lot of stuff around the whole that it that has been gathered together. Maybe he just never threw anything out. <laughs> Maybe it wasn't a structured gathering of stuff yeah, and holding onto it. Maybe he just shut a door and moved on to the next thing and sort of left them there. Or, or we were wondering, wondering, you know, what is it? Is it that that he had um, very active management? In those early days in this in the 70s who might have been thinking you know Tony DeFries thinking that there's money to be made some way here or, or is it just that Bowie was has always been a consummate business person more part of it 
I think it's the precondition of being a pop star that you believe in your own future. And uh, part of that is um, um, never throwing anything away because you, you recognise the value of it. From your lyric jottings as yeah, a team. Yes, through, it, yeah, yeah. But there is that. I mean, I think that the lyric jottings that then later turned into other lyrics and became other lyrics and the, the sort of the art school thing of keeping sketchbooks and notes and, and uh, of ideas sort of visually and, and in written form are things that do probably make you more more prone to gathering and sort of hoarding and keeping stuff because of that sort of that rub of well actually when when might I want this again when might this be the thing I only want to pick up and use mm. this image or this word these words this this sort of bit of an idea yeah. and in fact that that seems to drop off later on in the exhibition or in terms of timeline partly as Bowie starts to write on a Mac um, you, and and starts to use software yeah. to construct those things. That that there are fewer artifacts of that constructed process. I mean, there's a whole range of issues here, especially for people who work in art schools and in design and about archiving yeah. and, and how we preserve those things. And it, I mean, for writers in, yeah. in whatever form, not having earlier drafts necessarily, or or you know snippets of things and seeing how they were maybe cut up and put back together and mm. constructed, you don't see that sort of process of making through the computer as, as, as you would in, in like in the, in the show that you see sort of the process of how we put words together. Yeah, we have um, to dig into writing. the word file and see all of its auto-saved yeah. uh, parts. But as soon as, yes, but that's, that's probably only possible for a certain amount of time with, yeah. uh, with the appropriate bits of software. Yeah. I remember one of the things that, uh, Rob, you were saying you were surprised by uh, when we... Uh, when you actually got to the exhibition, was the scale of some of the uh, um, uh, the, the, uh, the, the the original work yes. that it was. Um, yeah, um, it was particularly particularly when I um, one of my favourite albums, many Bowie fans' favourite albums, Scary Monsters and Super Creeps, and um, and and so I, I've grown up with that artwork, with the Edward Bell artwork for that for that album and I poured over that more than possibly possibly more than any other album in my collection uh, since it was released in 1980 um, and so familiar with all, with all of the kind of work around that and I, I remember having a calendar at the time that also had some some additional paintings that Bell had done that weren't used on on the album um, and walking into the room where the artwork was displayed I, I was just Staggered, blown away by the sca by the size of the artwork, and and I guess I'd expected it having I you know to be I, the size I, of a record the sleeve thereabouts of a record sleeve because I've worked on album I've made album artwork when it was still vinyl packaging, and typically we would produce it at ca camera ready at actual size, um, and maybe the painting was originally larger, but we'd photograph it and scale it down in some way or you know, strip it in from films. Uh, but to see this was a, essentially a massive single canvas with the front and back and spine of the album all there at the same time. And that the, uh, the, the handwritten song titles had been painted on separate pieces of paper and torn out and pasted up on, on this massive thing. It, it, it was completely unexpected. And I just, it was just wonderful to see, really, working at that scale. 
two of the things that are uh, in the exhibition that stayed with me were kind of surprising things. So there were, there were moments when I was uh, just thrilled to be very near to very important artefacts. Mm -hmm. But um, there were, for, in terms of uh, emotional resonance, there was, um, I think it was um, a fan had sent a, a piece of, uh, I can't remember who this was, perhaps it will uh, trigger a memory of you. Uh, but someone had um, created a, a piece of fan art of, uh, of David Bowie's sketch or drawing or something. And sent, instead of sending it to Bowie, sent it to David Bowie's mum, had somehow found the address and re received um, a, a, a lovely reply from Bowie's mum saying, um, uh, you know, just commenting on the content of the letter. The original letter wasn't included, just the reply and the art was included. And um, and then the, the um, yeah just mentioning it was a rather beautiful piece and very thoughtful to send it, and I think the the final line was um, don't give your friends this address. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember that. Uh, it was a nice a nice piece. It was just uh, uh, you know clearly a lot of time, and for Bowie then to have that um, for it to be included in the exhibition suggests that. Uh, his mum at that point did it say yes, it, 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 it will get to you. So um, I, that was one thing that stayed with me. I, I, I have sent one or two fan uh, letters in the past, and it's always included a, um, a bit of art to stand out from the usual. I think a lot of uh, you know these letters never used to reach the the um, the stars directly. Um, if, especially if it was going via the record label, but um, they'd probably be interested in just how much the volume there was coming. So I thought uh, I will include art with my uh, with my pieces, and very very rarely really got a, uh, any sort of a reply. So who did you send them to? Uh, certainly Brian Eno in in the year of probably about nineteen eighty five. Yes, he <laughs> might have done. Mentioned something else. Yeah. And as a child, I remember drafting a letter to Abba. This was a long, long time ago. <laughs> uh, um, it was last summer. <laughs> yes. uh, yeah, with um, with some doodles that I'd done whilst listening to their music, and I put those probably about three or four, perhaps about uh, yeah, four, and uh, with the help of my mum, creating uh, um, a letter to Abba. With uh, I yeah, don't remember if they did respond. I don't remember it. They didn't respond. <laughs> and then so, perhaps the other piece that really stayed with me uh, w was the keys to the, to the flat in Berlin. Uh, so just hanging up uh, on a, um, a hook and perhaps quite easy to overlook was um, the, um, a bunch of keys uh, to the, the flat he shared with uh, Iggy Pop in 1977 and 8, I think, uh, uh, while they were living in, um, in Berlin together. And I'd, I'd visited the door <laughs> earlier <laughs> earlier that year. I wish you had the keys. keys with yes, <laughs> indeed. If I'd if I'd been able to put the two together, uh, but it was um, yeah, it was a, a poignant moment. And I think uh, the fact that he kept those keys was his way of making a souvenir of that time. Um, but I kind of created my own souvenir. What I was trying to do was to uh, create a kind of a guided tour. So guided tours is my thing. I'm very interested mm. in how those all. Uh, go together, and I was, I was thrilled to learn that part of the V&A show there was a David Bowie self-guided tour that you could. Um, I don't know if you picked that leaflet no, up. No, I, I think they mustn't have printed quite so many as they, uh, you know, they needed to because they were very much in demand. And I managed to get one via someone who worked there rather than just pick one up. And it was um, a uh, 
a, a tour of Soho. It was, uh, I think, someone had picked out um, maybe a dozen or more um, um, parts of Soho that related to Bowie's time there in the, um, I suppose, the mid to late 60s. And uh, some of them would be um, uh, lesser examples, like it might be a music shop that Bowie perhaps bought his jazz albums at. Uh, or a, um, a music studio that he um, uh, would have visited, uh, cafes that he was known to frequent. And um, I, I, I meant to do this, but I forgot to write down the name of the um, street. It's a back alley that is the, um, the album cover for um, Ziggy Stardust. And um, all of these places have got a tangential connection with Bowie or a very big connection. It's, it's thrilling to uh, walk the streets and just uh, imagine. And that there, was, there was things happening on that tour that uh, weren't included in the tour. And uh, I read just in the last couple of weeks about the closure of an um, Italian restaurant, just a little uh, um, uh, corner diner, I suppose, cafeteria. And n nearly nothing had changed from the uh, from the 60s. Oh yes, Hedden Street, London is the, uh, the location of that uh, um, street. And it completely uh, changed from being a real back alley, somewhere that um, you definitely wouldn't want to go alone, to being uh, all sorts of expensive pizzerias and uh, <laughs> all sorts of other uh, high-end kind of dining experiences there, boutiques. But I think it's interesting what you're saying about that, that the, the sort of... Uh, those that sort of that walking tour and discovering things yourself and and things like the keys to the the, the flat in Berlin and those sorts of quiet objects that don't, you're not given huge amounts of information around but are so sort of invocative and you can sort of invent bits of your own exactly yeah, stories yeah. or thoughts or feelings like you know of, of 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 why he might have kept those keys or or what it why why we hang on to things or what we do and I think. I was very aware when at the private view, because of the amount of people and because of, the, of their headsets and the way you sort of go through, and uh, and the rest of it, the, you, it's very easy just to look at the the you know the, the huge bits of video and imagery and the sound changes as you move through the space on the headsets and be very sort of overwhelmed by all the all the big, I suppose, elements, all the sort of quite domineering sort of in your face yes, sort yeah. of elements that were in the exhibition and the and the brightness and the you know the sparkle of the of, of bits of the costumes and the you know and the sort of scale of things and that that it's quite interesting it was quite interesting when I went back when there wasn't anyone about I didn't have very much time I was really sort of documenting piece but noticing smaller bits and, and beginning to sort of notice other bits and wishing that that, that almost somehow you could go and see it when there was nobody else about, yeah. almost, or that, you know, and have a lot more time and space with it. And being quite intrigued now because there's going to be this uh, the film that's going to be a live a live stream film on the 13th of August um, uh, from it, um, and just sort of discussion with the curators. But what that film might pick up, and the parts that people might not have noticed so much yeah. when it's been busy mm. and seeing it again through a different sort of eye again but I suppose in some ways through the eyes of the people who put it together in the first place mm. as that you know the curators involvement in that and the sort of the people who are making the film and seeing what bits get picked out and sort of looked at and explored through that yeah. that medium as well or in that other sort of way and it'll be quite interesting to go and see it and see 
the, all the other things that I know that I've probably missed in the exhibition. Yes, I'm very much looking forward to it. And is that is that going to be the essence of the content? Is a, a sort of bit by bit um, uh, run through of the exhibition? I, I I really don't know, but I'm, I suppose I'm 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 making assumptions that that um, there'll be individual people, there'll be sort of people's thoughts and the curator's thoughts about different elements of it and different things. But because of being aware that there were, talking to different people, there's so many elements I missed when I saw it, things that I saw when I went back a second time and talking to people, things that I sort of realised that I missed mm -hmm. um, when I was there, that I'm assuming many more things will sort of come up that I missed when I was seeing it. And that, because it, again, it'll be from somebody else's view, from the sort of the curator's view and the filmmaker's view. Of, of sort of which elements are looked at. I might be completely wrong. But <laughs> well, let's find out. Yes. Have you got your ticket booked? I haven't it? got my ticket booked yet. Uh, yes, yes. Um, but I will. I will do that soon. I, it's it's interesting, isn't it? Because because when you're talking talking there about all the things you kind of pick up on as you see the exhibition. That if we if you depending on how old you are and how much of Bowie's career you've followed um, during that time. It, it is like almost Bowie is 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 recording certain aspects of of the years that we've lived through as well, and because we part of our kind of childhoods have been played out to the backdrop of what happens in popular music and Bowie in this particular case, it is like a record of of, of us growing up, of our culture growing up in the late part of the twentieth century, and of pop music changing. And, and, the, and the changes from those very early aspects of David Bowie's career to the latter aspects are charting broader cultural changes as well as just Bowie's transitions. I mean, Bowie, Bowie's very associated with lots of transitions in his own work, but, it, but it's, it's charted certain points in, in how we relate to pop music, how it gets marketed, uh, the, the, the change, even just going from certain size venues to stadium venues, the, the move to video as a, as, a, as a cultural kind of medium for music rather than the re records, um, you know, from album sleeves to MTV. Um, all of those things are kind of there as part of this exhibition. The whole thing could easily have been a, um, an exhibition about pop music from different people, from different, you know, a hundred or two hundred different bands and uh, by the end of it I was thinking is there anyone else um, in history that could support yield the same amount of uh, material mm. uh, with a, a, a you know different angles different uh, elements uh, changes over the over the years has any has any one man ever worn so many clothes no indeed <laughs> yes uh, and one thing I was thinking by the end of it and this is by no means a criticism of uh, contemporary uh, um, pop music, but is there anyone um, recording today or uh, anyone today for whom the same amount of uh, material, uh, peripheral material, so costumes and all the other things that Reese Leeds is interested in uh, for an exhibition, maybe not on that scale, but uh, an engaging mid-size exhibition. Yeah, it's kind of worrying, isn't it? We're we at the end of the period during which there'll be anything to to uncover and, and pull out in this way. I mean, we, we had that, that, tried to think around that, you know, a little while ago, and, and the only name I could think of was Prince. Yes, I was thinking of Madonna. And, uh, <laughs> but I think, it, I think certainly Prince with the Paisley Park 
kind of model for how uh, how he's organised things and how his business has been run. Certainly has the archives. You know, he he has been very organised in, uh, in maintaining certainly his recorded archive, and I suspect just as much the costumes and and ephemera. But I, I I don't know. But I would wonder whether almost though, but Bowie was the beginning of a point where those things that, that might have a value or might be seen as having a worth and be worth holding on to, when actually now I don't know. I'm sure. I'm sure everything Beyonce wears is kept, yeah. stored somewhere, tucked away for for yeah. future sale or you know to do something with. I don't know. But I'd, I'd sort of assume that. That's it's almost like he was the beginning of the more, you know, that the, the, the sort of, you know, a time period where um, the things that people have touched, held, worn, whatever, used on tour, used for, became, were sort of becoming seen as having more value and having a possible so future you, value. You think there's a deep freeze with Lady Gaga's meat dresses in it? Yes, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> yes, with some cats pacing around outside in circles. But I, I would have thought that a lot of stuff now is is held on to. But it's it's what it is. I mean, it, I suppose the other thing about the a lot of the stuff in the David Bowie exhibition that that might also be right in what that I don't know if the you know, Prince's archive, if one exists, is that is is those personal bits as well. Those the things that make you feel like you've been close to mm. something that he's been part of. That gives it a different sort of feel. That there's 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 bits of the the interviews with him that are sort of quite personal. Yeah. They're very personal, and the some of the objects are very, very much sort of. They they're quite low key. That they aren't sort of you know all singing or dancing. Yes, certainly I, I certainly agree with that, and that was that was my um, motivation for uh, my. Uh, movements through Berlin instead of it being intrigued by I don't know the recording studio where he made the albums that kind of held less interest to me than um, finding some of the locations that purportedly were um, uh, s the stories behind some of the song lyrics mm. so one of my favorite Bowie songs is uh, always crashing in the same car and I had um, I determined that I was going to find the location of those car crashes. <laughs> and what, what does it even mean to, to try and do that? Um, it's a pop song, you know, it's not a newspaper report. But I thought that if it, if, if it was a real incident, and if he had uh, recorded the song about it, that as a fan it was almost um, a duty for me to uh, locate that, uh, um, that, that place. And according to um, comments made by Bowie himself, that uh, the, uh, the car crash was um, uh, on a main street, uh, and it was actually his um, drug dealer who he had Bowie perceived as letting him down, um, or ripping him off rather, and that he'd repeatedly um, crashed his car into this uh, dealer's uh, car, and that he, he himself, Bowie himself, had then uh, driven off back to the. Um, hotel that he was living in at the time. I think he'd just arrived in in Berlin. And uh, the lyric is that he's uh, driving round and round the hotel garage at close to 92 kilometres per hour, I have to assume, uh, in a near sort of suicidal um, effort to crash. And I thought how exciting it must be to, um, would be to, to visit that garage, to find myself in that hotel garage where that significant pop moment had happened 
and uh, we, we identified the, um, the, the little hotel, uh, Schloss, and um, the car park was just a, a car lot to one side of the, um, the, 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 the hotel. And I asked the, the staff um, where the underground car park was, and they didn't know what I was talking about. They said, there isn't one, you know. Are, are you here with your car? Just leave it outside. <laughs> and um, they didn't know the, the, the story. Although they, they certainly knew a lot of um, important and famous people who had stayed there. So I think it was the, uh, the, uh, the literary set who were associated with that hotel, which might be why, you know, what piqued Bowie's interest in the first instance. But um, that whole uh, um, incident, if it happened, didn't happen in that hotel. But that's essentially what I was trying to do, was to get closer, get closer to the lyric. There was another moment of interest. Uh, about a year ago, I think, I was at the V&A, and they, were, they had um, an exhibition on... Uh, and there was a, this might have been the, the seed or the genesis of the, um, the, the full-scale Bowie Years exhibition. And it was um, uh, all sorts of elements of fashion. And um, one display case contained, um, a, I can't remember now which Bowie costume it was, but an early 70s costume. And then in the um, uh, right next to it, there was a, a Brian Eno costume from uh, 1973 and I don't know if you know the, the, the one it's when he was in Roxy Music and it's um, a largely black ensemble at a time when people just didn't wear black clothes and they certainly didn't wear black ostrich feathers coming <laughs> out of the, the shoulder pads of this uh, uh, item and so they still don't no it didn't, no, it never caught on one, one. Uh, so a unique uh, item and when I was, uh, you know, a teenager, this this really kind of caught my attention. So I missed uh, um, Roxy Music the first time round. You know, I was dimly aware of them as a child, but not uh, it wasn't my thing. ABBA was my thing, and um, seeing the costume uh, in the flesh, uh, as it was, a, a really in, a, a intriguing, surprising moment. I was surprised that it existed still; that it hadn't just fallen apart or been stolen. I was surprised by how small it was. Mm. It was absolutely tiny. You know, in those days, must have just been um, uh, such a slender, tiny fellow, <laughs> unless it shrunk over the years. And um, it's probably spandex. It's probably quite a love of stretch in it. it. It quite possibly. Yeah. And um, just how well made it was. For uh, I've seen TV costumes, and when you get up close to those. Uh, you know, for sci-fi or yeah. something, just how dreadfully made there <laughs> are. They kind of, yeah. They, well, uh, it, on TV, I guess it doesn't matter. That it doesn't mm. need to last for very long, and um, w when it's a certain distance from the camera, it doesn't matter if it's just uh, stuck together. I remember the first time I uh, saw some, I think it was a, some Blake Seven <laughs> costumes, and they yeah. were just stuck together with sellotape. I think I remember seeing Sea Devils at uh, a Doctor Who exhibition in Blackpool in the seventies. And uh, just being very disappointed <laughs> with the build <laughs> quality. Surely the sea devils were. And yeah. I was delighted to be able to make a. a more, as a local historian, um, I'm always uh, fascinated to be able to make a Birmingham connection to any anything really, <laughs> but especially when it's uh, something that I already regard as a, an important, iconic cultural moment. And um, I, 
I later learned, I think it was earlier this year, learned that the designer of that costume and one or two other Roxy Music um, stage costumes was uh, Eno's girlfriend, Carol McNichol. And Carol McNichol uh, was born in Birmingham and she trained as a scientist, of course, as science, when she lived here. And for a time she worked at Birmingham Rep costume department in the costume department at the theatre. And um, and later moved down to London. That's when she created the the costume. But her um, uh, immediate kind of uh, relation to costume design is a Birmingham thing. <laughs> so it was it was great to be able to um, uh, make that connection. And also not difficult to actually contact her to see if she'd be interested in um, in, in yielding a little bit more information about what went on. Mm. We should definitely get her up for some a lecture and, and a resleeves <coughs> a resleeve show anyway as, as we can. Yes, I think it's going to happen. Yeah, excellent. So the film's happening. Yeah. Yeah, and then the exhibition's off. It's off to Ottawa and then um, Sao Paulo. Ah, okay, Brazil. That's uh, that's that's the the two. Venues uh, so that I know of, so it's. Is off the world, we think so. Yeah. Is um, there a strong fan contingent in uh, Brazil that that's been identified? I, I, I feel should, certain that his popularity around the yeah. world is uniform. <laughs> I, <laughs> um, I would have, yeah, I would have thought so. And I'm, I, you know, I'm assuming somebody's. Uh, that they've obviously decided that there will be enough people who want to go and see it. In Sao Paulo, but it's it's Ottawa, um, basically autumn, uh, up to sort of the New Year, and then New Year in Sao Paulo. Excellent. Well, some things to look forward to. Yeah, that would be good to, to go and see the exhibition. I'm really wishing I could cram in another visit before uh, before it closes, but I, I think it's getting a bit tight, so I'm going to have to make do with the with the film and seeing seeing someone else's view of it. Um, but it, it's absolutely fantastic exhibition, um, and I wondered if it's going to be one of those points in kind of almost like a touchstone that it becomes that, that this as an exhibition becomes something that people will talk about for you know for years to come at, at a certain point at which you look you look back at an artist that's got so much work and you you, you kind of document the whole thing in such detail I think, I think it must be but, I, and I would, but I'd again I'd think it's probably also a starting point of probably seeing other exhibitions of, yeah. of, 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 of other artists yeah. in a similar sort of way even though as you say I can't imagine who else would have such a sort of a diverse and huge sort of archive and collection yeah well, so, and certainly not in a way that that, that, that relates to the times that, that have changed around around it. I mean, yeah, you, you're right. You could take yeah, Beyonce's costumes or Rihanna's costumes or Lady Gaga's costumes, but they're kind of they're kind of in a bubble. They almost they almost exist in a little bubble of of their own celebrity, uh, of their own creating. They they don't feel maybe it's just the distance from in terms of time that we need to to really evaluate it. But but they don't feel like they're they're charting cultural shifts that are happening to whole generations over, over well certainly not over 30 years no. 40 years so, so it does feel, feel something different and 
uh, you know, I, I took my young teen daughter uh, along, and um, and it and, the, and it it certainly worked for her as an exhibition. You know, she she was fascinated with that the the amount of change and the and she didn't want to leave quickly, um, and so it'd be, it will be interesting to see what else what else kind of has that uh, that cultural impact. And I, I think I think anyone who's been to see it won't forget it. I mean, it is just it was it is just a such a sort of a a, a thing, a sort of a that's a ridiculous description. I know. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's so exactly it's so diverse. It was so it's so sort of full of stuff and information and 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 and, and objects and 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 as you say, it sort of it, it showed this sort of. The, the the sort of social cultural changes and the way that Bowie maybe affected those or was affected by them and sort of charted those over such a time and the sort of impact on other people and the work with other people and the influence of other people. There was a I'm just trying to think of the what there was an exhibition I went to that I thought while not on the same scale had had a similar feeling to for me and it was an exhibition of Vivian Westwood. Uh, costume designs. It was in Bangkok in about 2007, 2008, um, and I was over there working, so I got got to see it. And and again, similarly, that because because her work kind of prefigures and signifies certain cultural popular culture shifts, and and linked to pop music and and obviously fashion. Um, it seemed to have a similar weight mm. to it, a weightiness, a feeling that you were looking, you were actually seeing things that, that, that in some cases triggered cultural change um, in popular culture. Um, so yeah, I think that's the only one I can think of that, I, that I've seen. But I, I think also it will be interesting to see where the David Barry exhibition goes, because there is that thing that you say that you know you think that probably globally he's he sort of you know has a has a huge fan base yes. but whether there would be whether whether it will work whether people think it will work or decide yeah, that it will work in 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 what what sort of range of places what sort of locations yeah we'll have to we'll have to try and pick up on some conversations with people who've seen it in canada and brazil and, and see how differently it's yeah, received how they, or how, how, they how read it. it's yeah it's looked at yeah great Excellent. Okay, it's been it's been fun uh, doing. I mean, doing a re-sleeves in in a physical space. The first one I've done in a, actually in the same room as as Ben, let <laughs> alone another presenter. So it's been it's been good. Um, well, good good to uh, to talk again. Yeah. Thanks very much. Thank Anna. you. Thanks. Anna. Thanks. Anna. Thanks.